Well, we are grateful to have all of you here with us uh, during our Sunday morning worship service. We're grateful for the Mac family for leading us in songs of worship and uh, for all of our uh, all of our AV team for helping us uh, make this service possible. Uh, if you are joining us for, if you're just joining us or if you're joining us for the first time, we again want to welcome you to San Francisco Bible Church's Sunday service during the shelter in place uh, order time. We're grateful that you are here with us. This morning, we will be returning to our One Another series. Uh, this is a series that we've been going through uh, when I preach on Sunday mornings. And, and thus far, we've studied different aspects of what it means to love one another. Today, we will examine another uh, expected um, uh, or another aspect of one another love, which is the uh, expected conduct that exists in the family of God. And we're going to see the, ex- uh, the expected conduct in two different, cate- two different categories, two different one another's. One is don't judge one another. And the other is build one another up. And we're going to do so in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verses 13 to 23. Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 23. The Apostle Paul writes this, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful to come before you in worship in worship through the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that as we study this text, that you would help us to understand what you expect out of your children when it comes to our conduct with one another. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to be humble, to humbly study, to humbly uh, see what your word has to say for us. And we pray that, Lord, you would help us to really consider how we love one another, and to, and to see if there's any deficiency in our love for one another. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of our tendency to judge one another and to be determined to instead edify one another, build one another up. We pray that uh, the end result of this, even if we are not in direct contact with one another uh, in this moment, is that you would be glorified as we seek to establish as our culture, as our way of life, a humble love for one another that seeks 
to have everyone mature in Christ. Glorify yourself uh, this morning. Uh, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, Chinese culture is known for its emphasis on family. And that emphasis on family uh, commonly includes the practice of ancestral worship. It's an act of offering up food, drink, and money to ancestors uh, to honor them and to perhaps even secure blessing and protection from them. Chinese New Year was typically the time when my extended family would gather together and observe this tradition. And over the years, that tradition has died out in my family. But when we did observe it, one of my favorite parts of the celebration was eating the roast pork with this crispy skin, um, which was part of the offering up to the, to the ancestors being worshipped and honored. And the reason why I, I really appreciated and look forward to this time of, of eating the pork was not because I viewed anything in the offering as significant, but because it was just really good food. And we normally didn't eat it uh, in my family outside of this time of year. And so, as an elementary school student, I really just saw this food as food. It was delicious and tasty. Uh, however, after learning about idol worship in Sunday school, my conscience was bothered because I realized that we were eating food that was being offered up to family ancestors. And while family ancestors aren't necessarily idols in and of themselves, they are still uh, idolatrous in, in the form of worship. And so the question that I was wondering was, was it bad for us to eat food that was being offered up to ancestors since we were Christians? And this is a similar question that some of Paul's readers had here in Romans 14. As Jewish believers were wondering whether it was acceptable to eat meat that was bought in the marketplace since that meat was offered up to idols previously. And because the debate regarding Christian freedom from the Old Testament law was causing harm to the body of Christ, Paul reminded the church that they were not to judge their brothers and treat them with contempt due to their convictions, especially since God holds us all accountable for our treatment of our church family. So instead of judging one another or treating one another with contempt, we are to have consideration for, for one another as the family of God. And in this morning's text, we're going to examine three commands. Three commands for believers to observe in their consideration for one another. Three commands for believers to observe in their consideration for one another. The first command believers are to observe in their consideration for one another is consider one another. Okay, consider one another. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So in light of our accountability to God for our conduct within his family, Paul is reminding these warring believers that they are not to judge one another. But what does it mean for Christians not to judge one another? Now, Jesus commanded believers not to judge lest we be judged in Matthew 7. But what does it truly mean to not judge someone? Jesus and Paul are not telling people that they cannot judge others ever. Rather, they are warning Christians to be mindful of how they are judging other people. Let's explore this for a moment. 
So, in the original case of Matthew 7, 1-5, Jesus is uh, telling his audience not to judge, lest they be judged. But, in verse 2, he clarifies that command by speaking on the standard on which you judge other people. So, Jesus is not actually prohibiting judging outright. Because he goes on to say that if we are to provide correction for a fellow believer, we are to examine ourselves. We're to take a look inward. We're to see whether we are guilty of the same sin. We We are looking to see whether we are right in our motives when we go confront this other believer, lest we be guilty of sin too. And so, because Jesus is telling us to examine ourselves before we talk to another person, before we confront another person, he says that if we do so, if we go confront another person without examining ourselves, we are actually hypocrites. In Matthew 18, 15 to 20, this passage we know as um, instructions for church discipline, Jesus is telling his disciples that they are to help their fellow believers see their sins by showing them their sins in private. So if we observe another believer walking in sin and they don't realize it yet, we actually have a responsibility to go up to them, to point out their sin to them so that they might repent of it. Right? That's not, that, that is a, a form of judging. Right? It's a form of judging because we are observing them, we're evaluating what they're doing, and, and we're telling them, uh, or perhaps even just tactfully asking them uh, what's going on in their lives because we believe that they might possibly be in sin. So there is an aspect of judging that is still allowed. So you see, Jesus is not telling people that they shouldn't judge anyone ever. Rather, he is warning these believers to be mindful of how you confront another person, how you think about another person because we all know we, ha- we have a tendency in our human hearts, in our sinful human hearts, to judge others very quickly, to assume bad motives, to assume sin when perhaps there is not one. Right? And we often, when we judge, do so hypocritically. We don't examine ourselves, but we see uh, either the harm done to us as, uh, as exactly that, harm done to us, or we're just very quick to judge other people who don't share our convictions or our practices. Now, returning to Romans 14. Paul keeps Jesus' line of thinking as he tells his readers not to judge one another anymore. And there were two factions in the church that were warring over whether it was sinful to eat meat which had been previously sacrificed to idols. They're identified by Paul as those who are the stronger believers and those who are, by contrast, the weaker believers. Um, The stronger believers believed that it was not sin for them to eat meat since idols did not actually exist. They're nothing. They're not real gods. Uh, These stronger believers understood that righteousness was given to them by God through his gracious gift of faith. Um, It was a gracious gift of faith in Jesus Christ, and it was also also given to them through repentance from sin. So these believers, they knew that their salvation was secure because Christ's sacrifice provides all that they needed in order to be made right before God. They didn't need works or anything else. It was just uh, salvation by grace through faith in Christ and repentance of sin, right? These weaker believers, on the other hand, they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They've repented of their sins, but they mistakenly thought that faith was not enough, right? It almost seemed like it was too easy. It was too easy to secure that, that righteousness from God. Therefore, they thought 
that they had to continue to observe the dietary laws in the Old Testament. Their weakness in faith was a weakness in understanding the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Christ's death and resurrection secures the forgiveness of sins for all who believe. God's gracious gift of faith completes that transaction. Nothing else is necessary to save anyone. But because of this weakness that it needed to be faith in Christ plus observing the Old Testament laws, the practices of these stronger believers caused the weaker believers to stumble. They thought it was sinful. And the stronger believers consequently thought that the weaker believers were a nuisance that they were troublesome. So both of these groups, the weaker believers and the stronger believers, were guilty of unfairly judging the other group. And therefore, Paul tells both groups not to judge one another. However, because Paul knew that the stronger believers, because they knew their Bibles better, because they understood theology better, they were in a better position to serve their weaker brothers and sisters. So he primarily directs his attention to the stronger believers, and he tells them to determine not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in another brother's way. Now, that word that we see here, determine, is actually the same Greek word that Paul uses for the word judge. It's the word krino. So Paul uses actually intentional wordplay with the different nuances for that word krino to highlight how believers ought to treat fellow believers. Instead of judging, instead of uh, thinking sinfully and unfairly about the convictions of other believers, the stronger believers are to determine to think lovingly and patiently towards the other person. Right? To consider how to, how to serve them, how to not violate their conscience through their actions. It's the same word, judge and determine. But one is used in a negative way and one is used in a positive way. We are to positively judge, positively determine ourselves to serve the other people who are struggling, to, uh, to care for them, to be loving towards them, um, and to not cause them to sin. Verse 14. Paul says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Paul actually confirms the stronger believer's understanding when he says that he knows and is convinced from the teachings of Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Uh, Jesus had previously taught in Mark seven fifteen that food does not make anyone unclean. Rather, it's the sin in the hearts of men, right? in the hearts of all mankind. Sin is what makes us unclean, right? not what we put into our bodies. It's not the food that we put in, but it's, already, it's what's already existing within us that makes us unclean, that makes us sinners before God. Now, Paul, when he says that food in and of itself is not sinful, is not denying that the Old Testament laws told people that some foods were clean and some foods were unclean. Rather, he explains that the purpose for distinguishing food as clean and unclean are gone because of Christ. The Old Testament food laws were meant to demonstrate the distinction that existed between those who worship God and those who didn't. Those who worship God were supposed to be holy as he is holy. 
and that holiness or purity extended even to what they ate. Therefore, God's people uh, were told not to eat animals like pigs or other scavenger-type animals because they were dirty animals. If we are what we eat, we don't want to eat unclean things because the God we worship is not unclean. That was the idea of uh, the, the logic behind the food laws initially when God gave it. However, the need for God's people, the Israelites, to be distinct from the rest of the world was no longer necessary following Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. Since God's people are no longer exclusively Israel, but now include all who believe in Jesus, regardless of ethnic background, that need for distinction was gone. And God himself communicates that to Peter in Acts 10, when he declares that all animals are clean and could be eaten. Because God's purposes... God's specific purposes for highlighting Israel as the way to salvation uh, was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. That need to spotlight Israel as the way back to God, uh, at least exclusively, is no longer necessary. Everyone can be welcomed into the family of God on the basis of faith in Christ alone. And so that need for distinction was gone. Because now, instead of looking at Israel, you look at the church. You look at how God has saved all, uh, all peoples, all who believe. And since no food is unclean, people should feel free to eat whatever they want. However, Paul does warn that if a weaker believer is not yet convinced that everything is clean, if they still think that eating meat sacrificed to idols was sinful, then they shouldn't eat. They shouldn't eat yet, but they should abide by their conscience. You'll, you'll notice that Paul is not confirming their conviction as right. He has already confirmed that the other uh, believers, the stronger believers, their conviction is right. Paul himself knows that nothing is unclean. However, Paul wants believers to live according to the faith that God has given them. He doesn't want to give them a free pass to, con um, to hold their convictions forever but he also doesn't want them to establish a pattern of routinely violating their conscience. He doesn't want them to, to practice what they believe to be sin just because uh, other people are doing it too. He doesn't want them to establish that pattern in their lives. And so that's why he tells them they are not free to eat if they are not yet convinced. Verse 15, he says, again, to the stronger believers, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Paul tells the stronger believers to have compassion on their brothers, to consider their weaknesses. Those who believe that eating meat was not sinful, they should not practice their liberty if it causes harm to a fellow believer. Right, don't flaunt your freedom and your convictions on someone who doesn't hold those same convictions, but rather conduct yourself in a way that displays love for your fellow believer. The food laws were such a small thing that it was not, starting, it was not worth starting a culture war within the church. The food laws were such a small thing that it was not necessary to deny fellowship to those who do, did not share the, your same convictions. And worse yet, Worse yet, it would not be good for a believer to flaunt his or her liberties over another believer if that action could shake the faith of a weaker believer. It doesn't matter whether that weaker believer has doubts about faith as they observe uh, what they believe 
to be blatant sin being practiced openly by another, and it, uh, or if that, that doubt was uh, doubt about whether Christianity was even real because of the mistreatment that they were facing. It doesn't matter which one it was. The conduct of the stronger believer could cause devastating harm to the weaker believer's faith because, at least in the mind of the weaker believer, it was inconsistent. It was in, uh, the, 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 those actions were inconsistent with what genuine Christianity was supposed to be like. Since Christ has also died on behalf of the weaker believers, stronger believers were not to act in an unloving way toward them so as to devastate their growth or perhaps even lead them to abandon the faith entirely. Christians should remember that we ought to treat fellow believers with consideration and respect because Christ died for all of us. We may not war over whether we must observe the Old Testament dietary laws today, but we may war over other convictions, uh, perhaps entertainment. What kind of entertainment can we watch, if any? Uh, should we homeschool or not? You know, the, the list can go on and on. Be careful, brothers and sisters, of judging someone's spirituality based on what they believe God may rightly permit them to do. Be careful of causing strife in the family of God over small things. If we are all a part of the family of God, it is inappropriate for us to think of our brothers and sisters poorly because they don't share similar convictions to us. We must consider instead how to pers lovingly persuade our brothers and sisters to study the scriptures and to think deeply about their convictions. We're not to flaunt our, our convictions over them or oppress them until they either adopt our view or leave the church. We will have differences of convictions, differences of opinions within the family of God, but we must make sure that we do not cause others to stumble when we disagree on issues of conduct. Rather, we are to consider them lovingly as our fellow brothers and sisters, as our fellow Christians. And we're going to explore more on how we are to navigate different, uh, differing convictions as we examine the second command believers are uh, to observe in their consideration for one another, which is lay down liberties. Lay down liberties. Verse 16. And 17. Therefore, do not let what is good for you, uh, uh, sorry, therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Paul is still addressing the stronger believers here in this verse. And, and in light of the consideration that they are to show the weaker believers in the church. Paul is telling uh, these stronger believers to not let what is for them a good thing to be considered as evil. Right? So remember, Paul is on the side of the stronger believers. He, he knows that eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols is not sinful right? because idols are nothing. So he's on their side, but he tells the stronger believers not to allow the weaker believers to continue to think of eating meat as evil through their callous conduct towards them. Right? If the stronger believers are callously treating the weaker believers, would not the weaker believers be justified in thinking that these so-called stronger believers are uh, in sin? 
If you, if you look back up to verse 1 of this chapter, you, you'll see that, that Paul is commanding the stronger believers to accept the weaker believers. That is to accept them into a fellowship or community. And that means, that means that the stronger believers, they were, at least at that time, exclusive, they were, sorry, actively excluding the weaker believers from their communities, from their fellowship because of their convictions. Uh, some were, uh, accepting the weaker believers into their fellowship, into their communities, but when they accepted them in, they were they were judging them for their convictions. And so that conduct of the stronger believers it provided more evidence to the weaker weaker believers' uh, belief that these strong believers were in sin. The issue of eating meat, uh, or, or, or of whether eating meat is uh, right before God, is not really that important. And Paul wants the weaker believers to eventually recognize that right standing before God has nothing to do with whether someone observes the Old Testament dietary laws. Rather, right standing before God has everything to do with right belief in Jesus Christ. The weaker believers were not in danger of believing a different gospel just yet. But continuation in this conviction that belief in Christ plus the observation of Old Testament dietary laws could lead to, could lead to a view of salvation that was not a gift of grace, was not an act of faith, but was rather a product of one's own righteousness. And so, if the stronger believers wanted these weaker believers to have a right view of the sufficiency of Jesus' death and resurrection to provide salvation, they needed to win over their brothers and sisters uh, through right conduct, loving conduct, co- compassionate conduct, and a willingness to temporarily lay down their rights to eat meat so they could have a platform to have a conversation with these believers and to teach them the scriptures more accurately. We don't leave people behind in their understanding of scriptures. We don't just give up on them. Rather, we want to teach them more accurately what the word of God has to say. And so in verse 17, Paul, he reminds the stronger believers of the greater importance of proper conduct and consideration for fellow believers. When he tells them, when he reminds them that the kingdom of God is not food, it's not eating and drinking. It's not, it's not about that, but rather the kingdom of God is about righteousness. It's about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The benefits that come when someone will be welcomed into the kingdom of God, is not freedom from the need to obey the Old Testament. And that's what we commonly hear. It's uh, that uh, when you believe in Jesus, you're no longer held uh, responsible for righteous conduct, uh, or at least perfect obedience to the law. That's not it. Because Jesus himself said, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So rather, what... The, the, the benefits that await believers in Jesus Christ as a part of the kingdom are righteousness, it's peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We can have a settled confidence that we are no longer enemies of God, but have been given the righteousness of Christ. We're not just not guilty. Right? We're completely innocent because we have Christ's righteousness and therefore we should live righteously. Uh, we are no longer at odds with God. Right? But we're, we're no longer in trouble with God, but we have peace with Him. And as a result, we can also have peace with fellow believers and since we are unified in Christ. 
And also we can experience the joy of the Holy Spirit as we grow in our Christian walk. And that joy that awaits us, that we experience, is a settled gladness. It's a satisfaction that is anchored in the hope of salvation and being with the Lord in the future. These kingdom benefits, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, they're far more important than being able to exercise the freedom to eat meat sacrificed to idols or to drink alcohol or, uh, or any other thing that might cause another believer to stumble. Because Christ did not save us so that we can do whatever we please, but so that we could be made right with God and do His will on earth. Not our will, but His will. Verse 18. For he who serves in this way serves for he who in this way serves Christ, excuse me, is acceptable to God and approved by men. When believers are willing to lay aside their rights temporarily for the sake of others, when they are willing to serve others by denying themselves, Paul says that believers serve Christ. They serve Christ by obeying his command to love one another, but they also serve Christ, understanding that we are all one in him. We are all a part of his body. He represents us corporately, and we, uh, in turn, represent him. And so if we serve one another, if we lay down our rights to care for one another, we're not just doing it for each other. We're also doing it to Christ. We're doing it to another part of his body. So if the stronger believers choose to lay aside their freedoms, when they were with their weaker, uh, weaker brothers for the sake of peace and for the sake of fellowship amongst the body, they are truly serving Christ in their choices. And this, is, of course, is acceptable before God, but it also demonstrates to all who are within the church and to all who are outside the church and observe this, the beauty of the gospel as Christians demonstrate their love for one another by seeking the good of others First, Christians who understand the freedoms they have in Christ are certainly free to practice their liberties as they see fit. Where God has not provided guidance in terms of what is right and wrong, Christians can use the principles found in Scripture to determine what may be wise in honoring to God. However, this freedom that we have to choose what is most wise and most honoring to God is uh, not a right for which We are to fight to practice at all costs. What we see from Paul in these verses is that Christians may have freedom to act as they wish uh, when we're not sinning, but if our actions causes issues amongst fellow believers, then we are also free to lay down our rights, to lay down our ability to practice these liberties so we don't cause another Christian to stumble. And this doesn't mean that Christians are not allowed to practice their liberties ever. This temporary laying aside of liberty is applied to situations that could potentially stumble another person. However, there are situations in which you may choose to lay aside your rights so that you can provide instruction to the weaker believer. And that leads us to our third command, which believers are to observe in their consideration for one another, and that is edify one another. Edify one another. Verses 19 to 20. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. 
So instead of acting like a bull in a china shop when it comes to eating meat, Paul encourages the stronger believers to pursue the things which make for peace and the building up or edification of one another. So pursuing the things which make for peace refers to that voluntary laying, uh, voluntary and, and temporary laying aside of freedom so that a fellow Christian will not stumble uh, if they don't hold the same conviction as you do. And in this case, it would be eating meat purchased in the marketplace. But notice that Paul says that Christians who are giving up their freedoms temporarily, voluntarily, are to also pursue, actively pursue, the building up of one another. So Christians uh, who, whose convictions are shaped by an inaccurate understanding of God's word, they're not given a free pass from studying what God's word has to say on the convictions. And so, for, for example, um, the weaker believer who has believed that food can still be considered unclean must study all that scripture has to say on the topic. Not just the passages that prove their point, right, but they're supposed to study all of the scriptures that speak to that. They should desire to be faithful students of all that scripture teaches to make sure that they're Convictions are correctly held. And oftentimes we don't know where to start with that. And so these stronger believers who are to pursue the building up of the weaker believers, it is their job. It is their responsibility to lovingly, patiently come alongside the weaker believer, to encourage them to study the scriptures and to point them to passages that they may not have considered. The weaker believers cannot just say, these are my convictions, and you have to cater to my convictions. And perhaps they won't even use those words, but they can't just say, these are my convictions, and on these I will solidly stand. They can't say that. Rather, we, we all have a responsibility, whether we believe we're strong or whether we, we uh, are weak, to study the scriptures faithfully, to rightly understand what God's word has to say. So those who are stronger in their understanding of Scripture, we should naturally desire to build up the weaker believer, not so that we can resume the practice of our freedoms, but because we want God's people to have a more accurate understanding of who He is and what He has said about Himself in the Scriptures. And for this reason, Paul again commands the stronger believers not to tear down the work of God just so that they could eat meat. And that, that use of the phrase, tear down the work of God, is, is actually intentional wordplay again by Paul. It's uh, intentional wordplay on that construction metaphor of building one another up. Right? That word, build one another up, is, uh, or build up, is uh, typically a construction metaphor. Uh, and so here he says, don't tear down. Uh, so it's, a, it's another part of construction uh, as well. So what he's saying here is Christians should not demolish or destroy their fellow believers in their struggles as one would demolish or destroy a condemned building. Rather, believers should build up or edify the one who needs strengthening. So Paul, again, he confirms that foods are all clean and they can be eaten by believers who are convinced that they are clean. But if we are intentionally flaunting our freedoms in front of a weaker brother to mock them. That act of eating, though it may be done with good theological understanding um, and, uh, and right Bible understanding, it is sinful 
It's sinful because the motivation, the motivation behind the eating gives offense to the weaker brother. Christians, we are not to openly mock one another in areas where others may struggle. Instead, we ought to seek to love those who struggle so that we can build them up in their faith and in their relationship with God and their relationship with the rest of the church. People are to know us by our love. And that love extends even to this area of convictions. Therefore, Paul reminds the people in verse 21, it is, not, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. So Paul's main, main uh, area of address is the, ability to, uh, the believer's ability to eat food, but it can also refer to whether or not they should drink or any other practice for that matter. Right? So no matter what Christians have the freedom to do, if their actions cause another believer to stumble because they believe that action is sin, then it is good for the stronger believers to temporarily lay down their rights so that they can pursue peace and edification for the one who struggles. And so in our modern day, this could apply to the issue of uh, of entertainment. Uh, it could apply to uh, education. We, we've covered this already. But it could also apply to how we choose uh, to spend our free time, um, whether it's our resting time at home, our vacation time, our money. Um, it can even apply to um, it can even apply to these uh, the, the freedom that we have to vote, whether believers choose to vote or not vote, uh, what issues believers decide are more important to them uh, compared to the others. Right? We have to be mindful to be loving towards one another and to pursue peace with one another. But at the same time, if there is a deficiency uh, in their understanding of Scripture and how it should be applied to edify that one who uh, might need some edification. We can, we can and should have conversations about our areas of disagreement. But when we do so, when we do so, we should make sure that when we're having a conversation with the other, other brother or other sister, that we're listening. That we're listening to make sure that we rightly understand where they're coming from. We, we rightly understand which scriptures and which scriptural principles inform their decisions and vice versa. And if we are still unconvinced that, um, if we're still unconvinced that the freedom that this other person has, uh, the, the conviction that this other person has, uh, is allowed by the Lord, then we are to respect them and continue to patiently love on them. If we, on the other hand, believe that we're still right, that our, that our freedom is allowed by the Lord, our conviction is allowed by the Lord, that we are not sinning, we can respectfully disagree. Right? And if we respectfully disagree, that's fine. We, we just choose not to continue doing uh, what we're doing, hold uh, or um, at least uh, openly flaunting our convictions before the one who disagrees with us. Right? So we don't want to harm them, even though we might still believe we're in the right um, and, and in either case, right, <clears throat> conversations about the disagreements on convictions gives us a perfect opportunity to examine <clears throat> whether the convictions we hold are actually taught in the scriptures. 
Are our convictions truly derived from the scriptures and are they properly balanced? Or are they shaped from our preferences? Are they shaped from a desire to put a hedge around the actual truth so that we don't get too close to sinning? We have to be careful about that. Is what we believe truly God's wisdom or is it what we believe would be best for ourselves and consequently everyone else? Be careful brothers and sisters, of accidentally elevating your preferences to the level of God's Word. And even if you do have sound biblical reasons for why you personally choose to live in a certain way, it doesn't mean that what you deem is right for the Lord and for yourself is always right for others. Now, knowing that disagreement is still possible in the family of God, Paul concludes his discussion on issues of conscience in verses 22 and 23. He says, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before the Lord. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. So the faith that Paul refers to here is is, uh, obviously not speaking directly to saving faith in Jesus Christ, because that's already assumed. Rather, what Paul is talking about here is a a settled understanding that a believer has uh, for the freedom that they uh, choose to act upon, right, from their um, understanding of Scripture. So Paul is not telling stronger believers that they should be ashamed of their convictions. He's not telling stronger believers that if they had properly understood the Scriptures, that they are to give up their, their, uh, their convictions or their liberties. And he's not telling them that they should apologize for their understanding of God's Word, of what God's Word allows, and abandon that out of fear of offending a weaker believer. They can still have that conviction. They can still do what they wish uh, as long as they don't cause the other person to stumble. Right? They should hold on to their convictions because they, can, they are convinced that this is right before the Lord. And uh, he he says they should not condemn themselves for what they know Scripture allows because they understand that they are free. They're free before God to exercise their liberties. He gave them those liberties. He gave them those freedoms for them to observe, to enjoy. Uh, And as long as they don't cause another person to stumble, they can continue to do so. But those who are unconvinced, those who are unconvinced that they're allowed to eat meat should not eat meat unless they're fully convinced from the scriptures that this is allowed. Right? They, might, uh, they might give in to the pressure of the stronger believer because, they, uh, because of the convincing argument or, or, or perhaps even just the force of, uh, of the argument uh, or maybe just even intimidation or fear of man wanting to be accepted. Uh, but if the weaker believer on the inside is still unconvinced of of uh, the stronger believer's conviction, in this case, the eating of meat, then they are not to eat meat. They are not to practice the conviction of the other believer because they don't believe it's right. They still believe it's sin. Right? So they're searing their own conscience if they choose out of fear or, or whatnot to adopt someone else's convictions when they themselves don't hold it. Um, they're violating their own conscience. They're not acting in faith from what they know from the scriptures, but just out of fear. Now, believers may not immediately come to an agreement on what God's word allows them to do. But 
We must all act out of what we believe the scriptures to say. While Paul does go back to addressing both the strong and the weak in these last two verses, he reminds the stronger believers that they are responsible for edifying the weaker believers. Um, Patience is required among God's people as we build each other up in faith. And this patience, this patience is motivated by a love for for fellow believers and a love for God. Christians, we are are not to look down on uh, other believers with contempt just because they have an inaccurate understanding of the freedoms that we've been given from Christ. Rather, we are to edify them so that they can grow in their understanding of the gospel. Paul tells us, that the goal of all ministry should be the maturing of every believer. Right? We proclaim him so that all may be mature in Christ. Uh, we want for all men to be mature in Christ, and that is our goal uh, as a body. My extended family no longer observes ancestral worship. Um, those who practice it are now believers in Jesus Christ. So any questions on uh, eating food offered up to ancestors is not a conscious issue that my family uh, must consider any longer at family gatherings. If we do run into a situation, though, when that does come up again, we know from Romans 14 that we have the freedom to eat this food. But if there are those who might object to eating the food offered up to ancestors, that we have the right to lay down our rights for those who have objections. Eventually, we will need to edify them, but initially we have that freedom to not judge them. We have the freedom to, to lay down our rights, to not judge them, but to love them, to care for them. We observe three commands in our consideration of one another this morning. We are to consider one another, not unfairly judging one another for the convictions we hold. Now, this applies to both stronger believers and weaker believers. But it especially applies to the stronger believers who may be tempted to be annoyed at weaker believers because of their objections. We therefore ought to be willing to lay down our rights to our freedoms so that um, we can think of others as more important than ourselves, so that we can serve them, we can care for them, we can show them love and have an opportunity to understand them and talk with them about what the scriptures actually say and As a result, we are to seek to edify one another, not so that we can do whatever we want, but so that we can uh, help other people have a more accurate understanding of the scriptures. The family of God ought to act in such a way that those who are not Christians will see our care for one another and be amazed by our willingness to consider one another and to consider one another's good. Our testimony, though it may seem small, proclaims the great power of the gospel, not only to save people from their sins, but to also be willing not to live for ourselves, but to please God and to care for others first and foremost. So brothers and sisters, let us be, let us remember to be careful not to judge each other wrongly, but to seek to build one another up. Ask yourself, are there areas where you uh, are quick to judge other believers? Do you at times assume um, bad things upon people uh, quickly? 
are you tempted to quickly judge others and uh, not examine yourself first before you, you judge them? Uh, ask yourself whether you understand uh, what the scriptures teach correctly or if you need to actually correct your own thinking, recalibrate a little bit. Right? And if you must confront another believer in what you may believe to be sin in their lives or perhaps a, a wisdom issue, make sure that you do so out of love. And also, brothers and sisters, be okay if the other believer does not share that conviction with you immediately. Be okay with the fact that they might disagree with you. If they disagree with you, don't just give up on them or don't come back at them even more strong, strongly than you did before. Right? But be patient. Be loving towards them. Be kind. Win them over to the scriptures, not to yourself. Right? It's better for us that we love one another as Christ commanded us than to cause damage to the body of Christ in our pursuit of being right. If you are here with us this morning and you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we're so glad that you're here. We know that Christians will not perfectly live this one another love out perfectly. We won't perfectly uh, represent Christ in all of our actions because we still have leftover sin in our lives. But we pray, we pray that you will be able to see the great love that God has for, for us all and the great power that the good news of Jesus Christ has for you today. Jesus' death and resurrection, it truly has an impact on the world. It can take people who are lost in their sins and wipe their record completely clean so that they're innocent before God. It can change those who were all about themselves and make them all about others. It really does have power to change lives. It's not a private experience, but it, salvation, God's righteousness, it changes every single aspect of our lives. And that's the power of the gospel. Right? It's not a made-up belief that has no effect whatsoever on real life. Faith in God actually does make a difference. It, and it can, it can release us from the bonds of sin. It can make us right with God. It can bring us that peace that we've been looking for. It can bring us that satisfaction that we've always been seeking but never seemed to find. Because you were never meant to find your satisfaction in anything else. God created you to find satisfaction in Him. Right now, those of you who are not believers in Jesus Christ are in danger. You are at odds with God. You are in danger of facing His wrath for your sins. It's, uh, it's a danger that we've earned for ourselves when we sin against God. But God is so gracious. He is so merciful, so kind, because He chose to send His Son to die on the cross for us. So that when we believe upon Christ, when we turn away from our sins, that forgiveness of sins is ours for the keeping. It's ours for the keeping. You don't have to be in trouble with God anymore. You don't have to be lost in your sin anymore. You can be made right with God and you can 
in these uncertain times have peace, knowing that what awaits us in the end is the greatest treasure of all, God himself. So we ask that you consider the great love that God has for you. Things might not get better immediately, but there is so much hope found in God himself. And all of that is possible for you to receive today if you choose to believe in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful to you for your word. We're grateful for how it challenges us to consider what right conduct among believers ought to look like. We know, Lord, that we are all quick to judge one another. It can be very easy for us to assume that we understand what another person is thinking, what another person is doing, what they have as their motivation, and to attribute sin to them. We pray that you would remind all of us to be cautious of that, that you would, uh, that you would cause us to give each other the benefit of the doubt. And even if we choose, or even if we believe that it is right for us to confront the other person in love so that they could live rightly before you, we pray that you would help us to be, uh, to, to be mindful of, of checking our own motivations. Father, we know that there might be disagreement in the church over all sorts of things. And we pray that, Lord, you would help us to strive to show your love to to uh, others who don't hold our convictions. Help us to be patient. Help us to um, lay down our liberties so that we can win one another over to you, not to ourselves, but to you. We pray that, Lord, you would help us to strive to honor you above all else, not to bring glory to ourselves or our vantage point. We pray that, Lord, you would help us to be willing to take the time to edify one another, to build one another up so that we can all be presented before you as complete, as mature believers in Jesus Christ. We pray for those who are with us who are not saved, that you would help them to see the life-changing power of the gospel, that it isn't just another philosophy, but it is truly the life-changing message the God of the universe has given to his people, his creation. We pray that, Lord, you would convict them of sin, help them to see how much you love them how, and how much you are willing to remove them from the trouble that they're in so that they can be at peace with you, so they can experience the love that you have for them. We pray, Lord, that you would save those whom you will save. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.